Cool. Um, I may we may be interrupted at any point if my wife goes into labour. She's gonna just come and knock on the door and pull me out of the room. So, <laughs> and we will broadcast that live. Just letting you know that could happen. <laughs> we will give everyone updates live. The due date is as of today. So okay, yeah. You can you, wow. You can pull Skype up on your phone, right? I mean, yeah. right, exactly. Plus, I'll take you guys to the hospital with me. If, right. When she goes into labor, she's probably not going to actually give birth to the thing for like four hours. I know. So I know. at least That's fantastic. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'll have plenty of time. I'll be like, honey, it's okay. Just just sit down. No, no, no. <laughs> I'll need to go take care of her if that happens. Anyway. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Tech Reformation, where the world of technology meets the worldview of Christianity. I'm Ben. I'm Craig. I'm Derek. And we have a special guest this week, Mr. Jeremy Lundmark. Hey guys, glad to be with you. We are glad to have you, Jeremy. So Jeremy, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and maybe even Theology Mix and the podcast network and whatever else you want to say. <laughs> yeah, I'm the host of After the Sermon podcast, and I'm a regular author on TheologyMix.com, and I'm also sort of the mastermind, although I got to clarify for people, I don't do anything official on the back end of Theology Mix, but I do help out a lot. So uh, I, I have had people request like changes and things. I, I don't do that, but I do spearhead sort of the, the podcasting side of things. We're going to talk a little bit about that later, but I host uh, After the Sermon, and I'm also co-host with Scott McCausey, Theology Mixer Radio, so I'm a busy man. Awesome. Well, we are glad to have you here with us this week. I'm glad to be with you. So I have a Comcast story this week, which, uh, you know, that always promises to be fun. Um, we've actually been having issues with our Wi-Fi on and off over over the past couple months. Um, and I'm just assuming it's because of the time capsule that we have that it's just slowly dying because it's probably four years old, four or five years old now. Um, but we woke up earlier this week. Well, Tanya woke up earlier this week and texted me saying, "I Wi-Fi is just totally dead. I can't get anything on it." And I was like, "Ah, okay. I'll like really reset the the router when when I get home." And I go home and I reset the router and nothing happens. And then I think to actually look at the modem and the modem has blinky lights on it that you know are saying that it doesn't have any anything uh, going through at all. So I call my friendly neighborhood Comcast. Those two words don't go together. Yeah. Friendly yeah. and Comcast? Well, to be yes. Uh, I've had issues too. So so they run me through the whole roster of, um, you know, did you try turning it off and on again? Did you unplug this and reset it? You know, all those things that, and I can never, I know people like tech, techie friends of mine will always like just say yes, yes, to, even without doing them because they've already done them, tried them. I just cannot, uh, get myself to do that because I think I may have always done something stupid. But anyway, um, so we get to the whole end and they said, okay, well, we'll send out a technician. And then, um, so the technician comes and he finds, finds out that where this is the next day, he finds out that the wire at the, at the pole is just completely disconnected for some reason. Like, <laughs> I don't know how this happened, but apparently maybe someone was doing work on the, on the pole, on the lines, 
and uh, they they disconnected some stuff, and then they they reconnected everything but mine. But I don't something something smells Typical. fishy. But I I don't I don't know what happened. But the good news is after this um uh, after this hiccup in my internet, I get on speedtest.net, and I have like three times the speed that I had before. So I have like up to 180 megabits down as opposed Whoa. to 30. I don't know how this happened. If you're, if you're employed by Comcast, please don't investigate it for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just but, say thank you, Derek. Yes. Yes. <laughs> thank you, Comcast for <laughs> accidentally giving me more, <laughs> more internet. So Maybe it's not an accident. Maybe they knew you were on a tech podcast and that you'd promote it for them. So you... he's he's probably secretly listening to the podcast yeah. and just knew. <laughs> so thank you, uh, anonymous uh, Comcast employee. Oh, I had a very similar experience with Comcast a few days ago, maybe a week ago, yeah. where I called them because I had just hooked up my modem and my router for the first time, mm-hmm. um, and I I bought a modem off of Amazon because. It was like a couple, you know, it was like, I don't know, a couple dozens of dollars to buy the modem, but they wanted 10 bucks a month to rent one of their modems. Oh, yes. Yep. Uh, and I was like, yeah, that'll pay for itself real quick. So I'm not doing that. <laughs> yep. Just get yourself a surfboard. Yeah, that's what I got. And then when I first uh, hooked it up to my time capsule router, uh, I couldn't get connected to the network for some reason. So I called them, first mistake. And <laughs> I'm not kidding. Three times I was asked to... Uh, unplug the modem and the router and plug them back in and turn my computer off and on. Yes. Three times each, each yes. of those things. Oh, and it man. still never worked. I finally figured it out on my own, but it was like, man, I do IT for a living. Please, like, <laughs> trust me a little bit more than this. Yeah. It was so frustrating. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I, ju- I actually just went through, like, replacing the modem at church, and same thing with Comcast. It's just... It's an awful setup process. It took them far too long to figure out how to connect the modem. Uh, but anyway. Uh, so we actually have some follow-up this week. Uh, Dave Couch in the Slack um, sent us a picture of a newspaper article about a church to take uh, taking the plunge with online baptisms. I uh, see what you did there. It, it was, it's actually <laughs> the newspaper article that said that. It's, All right. it, was, it was their clever, not mine. Um, very punny. So it says the church of Scotland is considering online baptisms and communion to help reverse a decline in membership. The church's congregational role fell by almost a third between 2004 and last year. Um, and blah, 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 blah. As, as fewer people join up in the traditional sense, questions arise about online membership and even about access to the sacraments while not being physically present in the congregation. The report by the legal questions committee says, There are no easy answers to some of the questions, but in a world where the fastest-growing communities are online, the committee believes that now is the time to open up a wide-ranging discussion. And this is the end of the article. Online baptisms are popular in America with the service read over the phone or using Skype. Who is doing this? I've never heard of this. That that well, really surprises me, actually. I that was something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Well, I guess it was a couple of months ago when you guys were on Derek and Ben, and yeah, we chatted about that. And I thought it was like something coming five ten years from now. <laughs> I, I didn't know that was popular in America. It's so strange. I I actually would have expected communion to go first. Um, exactly. Yeah. Be- right. Because you can actually do that. I mean, you can actually 
take the cup, and I guess you could have a minister bless it or whatever, and all eat together through a Skype or Google Plus. You could do that. Um, yeah. uh, baptism, that one I'm not, I mean, uh, yeah, that's weird. I don't, I guess you get the certificate, but I don't know how you actually go through the function of you baptism. You dunk yourself? <laughs> yeah, you like, you, you set the, ca- <laughs> you set up a whole PR system. You get a camera, video set up, and then you film it, I guess. That's odd. That's different. <laughs> so anyway, for those of you wondering from our discussion last week, it is apparently happening. And I can only imagine it'll happen more in when VR comes around to churches. So I thought that was interesting. Thanks for sharing that, Dave. This is Tech You Should Know, the part of the show where we bring you seven tech news stories from throughout the past week that we feel are worth your consideration. As a follow-up from the news last week that Facebook was allegedly suppressing conservative viewpoints in its trending topics feature, uh, Mark Zuckerberg met with over a dozen high-profile U.S. conservatives this week to address those concerns. It was apparently a positive interaction overall. Following up, he posted on his personal account saying, We've built Facebook to be a platform for all ideas. Our community's success depends on everyone feeling comfortable sharing anything they want. It doesn't make sense for our mission or our business to suppress political content or prevent anyone from seeing what matters most to them. He also pointed out that Donald Trump has the most fans of any presidential candidate on Facebook, and Fox News drives more interactions on its Facebook page than any news outlet in the world. That is a total non sequitur. What do you mean? Donald Trump having the most fans on Facebook is proof that they don't suppress conservative news. (laughs) Those have nothing to do with each other. That's true. But at the same time, I think his point is that Facebook grows because, like, Facebook earns money off of conservative news outlets like crazy. There's no fiscal advantage for them to to suppress that. I suppose I see a somewhat brittle connection there. Yeah, I don't it know. depends on, on how much people stick to their, uh, are convinced by the money rather than their own <laughs> convictions, I guess. That that kind of assumes, though, doesn't it, that their revenue source and stream is actually the advertisers and not, you know, them being a public company now. Um, it's entirely possible that the investors are a big part of that. You know, I mean, the way they're they're saying that it's like, oh, the you know, it doesn't help us financially, but it could in the back doors if they have a big investor who wants it. You know, that's a, that's a nice answer, but they're they are a publicly traded company. I mean, it sounds legit to me, but I mean, mm-hmm. in terms of being a publicly traded company, that's not the only way they get revenue. So, right. um, but they'd still have to profit those uh, those investors. So I can see how that can play out. But so anyway, there's that. Uh, MXPX. <clears throat> Sorry, let me just start that again. MXPX? Not MXPX. Oh, I was I'm getting excited. Sorry. MXPX. I was like, what's <laughs> awesome. the news story about MXPX? <laughs> no, it's not MXPX. Oh, man. Uh, it is MCX. MCX postpones rollout of Currency, a mobile payments rival. For those of you not familiar with Currency, Ben's shaking his head over there. It's the bane of everyone's existence. <laughs> <laughs> it's a smartphone payment system created by a consortium of retailers who are trying to avoid credit card fees and keep companies like Apple and Google out of the arena of mobile payments. The problem is, it's an awful system that works off of directly hooking into checking accounts and using insecure QR codes for payment. Plus, it's been hacked before, which never looks good on the resume. 
And so, after two years of trying to roll out the service, MCX is postponing it indefinitely, saying it's concentrating on working with financial institutions, laying off 30 employees and emphasizing that they are looking at the long game with mobile payments. And now we can all move to the way of the future, Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And possibly one of the best ideas Twitter's had in a long time, the company is rumored to stop counting images and links in the 140-character limit that's imposed on every single tweet. And that's really all there is to that story. But uh, I'm excited about the this this potential. Me too. The, the only thing I, I have a question about this is how are they going to stop spammers from, from, like, posting a million links, like, a million images in there? I mean, I would guess they have some sort of... There must be a cap still. Guideline. Yeah, yeah. But we'll see when it happens. If it happens, it is still a rumor. Right, right. This is true. Don't they have a... There's a maximum number of tweets, right? Am I wrong about that? There is. You can hit a maximum number of tweets. Okay. Maybe they could put a file size amount or something in. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they would do that, though. Wait, 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 wait. What? There's a maximum number of tweets? Per, Per hour or something. Oh, is okay, it, that makes sense. Yeah, like I've seen this happen with live blogs that use Twitter. Uh, sometimes, like people who are live blogging with Twitter, like events like Google I.O. or something like that, that they've had their accounts disabled for a couple hours, like halfway through the keynote um, because they hit the tweet limit. So it does exist. Right. I think it also exists on loading. Like I know, I'm pretty sure like um, Google's API has like something where if you've got uh, like a Twitter feed embedded on a page, it'll only refresh so many times per hour mm. and then they cap it so that I guess that many users, um, that many, you know, it would just it would just overload their servers if people went too crazy with it. So they have to put some throttle somewhere. And into Google news, they have announced a bunch of stuff at a thing on stage in front of a bunch of people. Google's IO developer <laughs> conference. I'm sorry. I really like using that line, Ben. Uh, I know. That's why I was shaking my head. (laughs) Google IOs or Google's IO developer conference was this past Wednesday, and they're putting more fingers in all the pies, as is Google's tendency. Amidst the many announcements include Google Home, a competitor to Amazon's breakout hit Echo, uh, new messaging and video calling apps that support end-to-end encryption, a mobile VR platform called Daydream, updates to Android Wear and Android Auto, and really interesting developments to Android N, which is still unnamed, but announced it is now crowdsourcing that privilege. So you can go submit your own uh, name for Android online. Seems like there are... Uh, I was just reading Verge, uh, the Verge article with the 10 biggest announcements mm-hmm. um, from Google I.O. It seems like, um, of course, there are the ones like Android Wear and the Android N and stuff, but quite a lot of the other ones that they mentioned are either... Um, VR or AI related in some way. Yeah. So that seems to be a little. I know you said like they're sticking their fingers in all the pies, um, but it did feel like just sort of scrolling through and having a read that they um, are pretty keen on those two areas in particular. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm interpreting it wrong, but that's what it, that's what I got out of this story. No, you're right. There, a lot of what was mentioned during this keynote was about Google's assistant. Um, yeah. Which is. I guess kind of the super uh, Google Now thing. Um, so it, it's interesting. I, I'm I'm very interested to see where Google will go with this because I imagine they'll generally be better at collecting information and presenting it to you than Amazon will. So at least they better be good at it. <laughs> 
iTunes update tries to fix a bug that may delete Apple Pay subscribers' music. Over the past couple weeks, the news has been growing that Apple's iTunes software may be unintentionally deleting music from Apple Music subscribers' libraries, mostly due to a blog post by James Pinkstone, a musician who lost 122 gigabytes of his own music to this apparent bug. Wow. It appears he did have a backup, so, you know, good on him for that. Um... But it, it appears to be fairly rare. In fact, Apple claims it still hasn't duplicated the issue, but it just released additional safeguards to iTunes uh, 12.4 update that will hopefully keep your music from going to the big music library in the sky. Charter now owns Time Warner Cable, and a deal that had Charter paying $55 billion for Time Warner Cable and $10.4 billion for the smaller company Bright House Networks. Uh, Charter is bringing the two companies into the fold and has now become the United States' second largest cable operator. The company claims this will let it improve its network throughout the country, increasing speeds and all that crap that cable companies claim will make your lives better as they become monopolies. The name of Time Warner Cable will be phased out in favor of Charter, likely because nobody likes Time Warner Cable. 117 million LinkedIn emails and passwords have been leaked. If you haven't changed your LinkedIn password for the last four years, you should really think about doing that now. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> Stemming from a hack that occurred in 2012, a data set of emails and passwords has just been posted for sale on the dark web for about $2,200 paid in Bitcoin. So if you're one of those people who not only hasn't changed your password in four years, but also uses the same passwords everywhere, this is a really good time to think about getting a password manager, like 1Password or LastPass, and changing your passwords en masse to more randomized ones. I'm just changing my LinkedIn password right now. <laughs> <laughs> good. A s- good seri- totally serious question. Do you guys use LinkedIn? I do not. Okay. I'm on it, but I always question why I'm on it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's why I thought that was great, because four years, I was like, yeah, that's about the last time I used it. <laughs> I update it too, but like, just like you, I don't know why. <laughs> In my work Slack this week, uh, there was, I think it was on Wednesday, there was a contest to see who could come up with the best meme for, um, I'd like to add you to my professional network on LinkedIn. <laughs> and the idea was, any ca- any like stock photo works with that caption. And uh, it's pretty stinking awesome. hilarious. You'll have to send us some pictures. I'm just going to send you guys a bunch of pictures and assume that I mean I'd like to add you to my professional <laughs> network on LinkedIn. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Is one of them Xena, Ben? Uh, no. I've got a good Xena picture you could use. None of them are Xena. <laughs> oh, boy. This is going to be good. <laughs> one guy kept sending these weird ones. That's cool. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this one is my favorite. The fourth one. Terrifying. Oh, wow. Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) Okay, for those of you listening at home. (laughs) (laughs) What is that? (laughs) What is with the, like, virtual reality cord thing? Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's the last one. These are just the strangest stock photos. I can't link to them all in the show notes because (laughs) it's too many photos. But just go search through stock photos. I will I will post them in uh, the episode discussion slide. That sounds great. There you go. I feel like I want to see a um a humans of New York write up on quite a few of those images, particularly the guy <laughs> with the squirrel on his shoulder and the lady with the corn cob. <laughs> I just want to know what they're doing and who they are and why they're doing oh, it. Wow. But anyway. 
There should be a mass movement of people changing their profile pictures to those <laughs> in LinkedIn. That'd be fantastic. There you go. And that is all the tech you should know this week. If we left out something you think we should have considered, feel free to email us at techreformation.com. No, email us at ask at techreformation.com. <laughs> For more tech you should know throughout the week, follow us on Twitter at techreformation. So Jeremy, you look uh, a little bit upset. Is there uh, is something throttling your data? Yeah, I'm still a little frustrated about the uh, technology we use here in Pennsylvania for uh, for voting. And just talking to Derek, it sounds like this is uh, pretty common across the state. This looks like the standard. Uh, I'm going to share this with you guys if you want to put it in the show notes. But uh, the the system, I went into my polling booth, and here's a screen which, for all intents and purposes, looks like a touch screen. And so I start touching it, but nothing happens. <laughs> and I start staring blindly at the, at the keypad. And, and to be fair, there were instructions, but as a millennial, I assume technology <laughs> should just work. And uh, what, when it didn't, I'm sort of like, what shall I do? And of course, rather than read the directions, I just start pushing stuff. And uh, I'm gonna des- <laughs> I'm gonna try my best to describe this, and then uh, I'll put I'll give you guys the picture and you can post it. But basically, it was a combination of what would best be described as a Nintendo controller. Um, <laughs> y- there are some Atari controllers out there that would would be close as well. But you have a big wheel, not a big wheel. I shouldn't say big, but big in terms of like iPhone, iPad type stuff. A select button, a left and right button, and then there's like a big red button that uh i forget what the red button solely exists for casting your ballot forecasting yeah and then there's a help button which (laughs) i refuse to press (laughs) Uh, saying big buttons and yet you missed all of these buttons and thought it was a touch screen (laughs) it's it's very well the the reason i didn't the reason i thought it was a touch screen is because there's so few buttons i thought there's certainly not enough buttons here in order to accomplish the, the task of, and when the screen comes up, you have letters and multiple selections. So it didn't seem like there was a one, two, three, four type of a button setting, but basically you have select and enter. And what you do is you spin this little dial and it will move the selector left to right on the screen in blocks. Mm-hmm. And in order, for example, to do a write in, which I did, um, you have to spell out sort of like with your direct TV or oh, no. cable. Oh, it was horrible. No. And, and the keyboard to, to, is alphabetical. <laughs> yes. <It's>, yes. And <laughs> to, be, no. to be fair, I would love to have this little selector wheel on my remote control because direct TV is worse, but this isn't much better. And so you would literally like spin the wheel to the letter, hit enter, spin the wheel to the next letter, hit enter. Oh, so thankfully the person I voted for, um, was easy to spell, quick to spell. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I, my data, so to speak was throttled because I was like, I, there was definitely a freeze moment where I stood there and I was like, I am. I would be too ashamed to ask yes. for help. <laughs> and and I don't know, Derek. Did you push the help key? Because I I just sort of looking at this picture. I don't even remember even considering. No, it. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't even think about pushing the help key. Basically, like I did the same thing you did. I started pressing the screen, just assuming. Oh, it's a giant screen. I'm very well. I I might as well just like it may as well be a touch screen. But um, oh goodness, Craig is Craig is posting. Australian voting technology. It's paper and a pencil, guys. Man, that oh, is man. that is so backward. I can't. Ah, uh, that is so eighteen ninety five. Right, I know. 
I know. To but be you know fair, what? it's more efficient. <laughs> <laughs> it actually works. <laughs> and you know what you're getting. You know, it did actually say on the screen. I remember, like it said, use select wheel to <laughs> select it. And I didn't see that until I tried vainly for about a minute yeah. to to touch the screen. <laughs> yeah, mine mine didn't say on the screen, but there was like a label down the left side. That explained oh, every yeah. button, sort yep. of like like the thing you would get with your remote control, like a little fold-up instruction mm-hmm. manual. But you just sort of disregard all that stuff. And again, when I say big buttons, like the instruction, they're so daunting, and the screen is so big. It just you just assume it's an iPad slammed right, into a exactly. <laughs> yeah. really. That's what that was my initial thought. And then I'm like, what could these buttons possibly <laughs> be for? And then you go through the process, and it probably took me about ten minutes to vote. Um, for all the things that you could vote for in the primary, um, the majority of which was me doing a write-in. So maybe they're trying to deter from write-in. But if, if I had, if I didn't have to write in, it wouldn't have been that tedious. So to be fair, the system does work. But man, when I when I, I was sitting there, like literally after I had that pause moment, I was like, oh, Nintendo, Atari, got it. <laughs> like like there was this moment where I was like flashed back to the mid '90s, and I was like, oh yes, and that made me think. Well, that's pretty much where our technology is at the state level. <laughs> um, we're we're still back in the '90s, maybe late '80s with technology. So someday we'll be there. Someday. All the onlookers so, just thought you were thinking really hard about your vote for that ten minute period. <laughs> By the time it rolls around to our children, it'll probably be those big old C- CRT touch screens, but it'll actually be a touch screen. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I have an ignorant question. This might be an ignorant yeah. question. Why do you have to go somewhere to vote? Why can we not just vote online with some sort of identity verification process? See, wouldn't that be wonderful? Why, why does that not exist? I don't understand. That would be a dream. Can I answer that question maybe in an offensive manner? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I honestly, and forgive me, I, I oftentimes call myself ageist, but I genuinely believe it's because the people who are in leadership who are getting the votes are at a level age-wise where they don't trust the technology. And, you know, if you, if you had people our age, I think we're getting there. I think we're at that point where people who trust the technology are ready to step in and actually implement it. Um, but right now, you know, you got baby boomers and Gen Xers, and I think Gen Xers for the most part are good with all the technology, but your baby boomers and your, your higher ups like, Oh, well, they're, they're all these, all this talk about voter fraud and stuff. Mm-hmm. When, when you, when you take that, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had to sort of explain to your grandmother how to use like, uh, like a cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't work. And you know, same with. Same with this type of technology, I think you get... I mean, if, if you've ever been to a polling place, the vast majority of the people who run the polling places are elderly folks. It's not young people. And I think if you had more younger people involved with that process, we would see quicker change. But you have to have it both at the the, the polling booths and at the, the policy level to where we actually... Because that's a, that's a statewide decision mm-hmm. to implement that technology. There's cost involved. And um, so you have to have the people who trust it making those decisions. And I don't think right now we have both of those things in place. My assumption was it had to do with the government implementing something versus the private sector Im- implementing something. But mm-hmm. I that know. could be too. That, that may be, be totally irrelevant. No, I, I think there's, there's a bit of truth in all of that. And so that's what throttles Jeremy's data this week. Our sponsor this week is missionalware.com. If you're a theology nerd like me and you don't know about missionalware, then let me tell you something. 
Missionalware is this awesome website and company who prints theologians and theology-centric things on shirts and coffee mugs and notepads. They even have a poster of the entire book of Romans. And not only that, they have a poster of the entire book of Romans in the original Greek, which is pretty sweet. So if you like Spurgeon or Calvin or Luther or even, I don't know, Warfield or Bunyan or some of the guys that don't get quite as much press these days, Baxter, Van Til, Van Til's my favorite. If you're a presuppositionalist like me, you have got to go to missionalware.com and check out all of the Cornelius Van Til swag. It is sweet. And hey, if you do decide to buy something from missionalware.com, be sure to tell them at checkout that you heard about them here on Tech Reformation. Hey, Dan, what do Scarlett Johansson, Jack London, and Richard Dawkins all have in common? Probably that they're all more famous than I am. Well, besides that, they actually all share the same worldview. And here at the Art of Redemption podcast, we do too. During the show, your hosts, Daniel, Cody, and Roy, take on entertainment and the arts from a Reformed Christian worldview. The media that surrounds us is always making a thousand different arguments on how we should answer the most basic questions of our existence. Like, where do we come from? Why is the world so messed up? And is there anything we can do to fix it? Are you prepared to understand those arguments? Let us help you do exactly that. We take apart movies, music, paintings, and more, and then we examine the worldviews within. Next, we face them up against God's revealed truth and see how they hold up. And it usually isn't very pretty. Join our conversation on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher under The Art of Redemption as we look at the media around us and ask not only what it means, but why. Now it's time for our main topic this week, and we want to talk about the Theology Mix Podcast Network with Jeremy Lundmark. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Um, What do you want to know? Let me ask that. Well, what is it? For anyone who might not know, we've been saying for a couple of weeks now that we're a part of the Theology Mix Podcast Network, and we've even run some ads, right, for for the other shows. Um, Actually, you just heard one. Yeah. So you've been hearing ads (laughs) for other awesome podcasts in our network. Um, but if you are just picking it up in this episode, um, for those folks, what is the Theology Mix Podcast Network, Jeremy? Yeah, basically, the Theology Mix Podcast Network was started, I would say, toward the end of last year. And it, it began with, uh, we've seen other podcast networks emerge, and it was a combination of two things. Uh, I am an author with TheologyMix.com, and at the time, I think they had about 50 or 60 authors working from basically the same uh, WordPress backend. And I had already gotten into podcasting, and I started to realize that that, that backend could be used for so much more if we implemented the same plugin that I use for my podcast. Uh, for those, if you care about the technology side of it, it's the Blueberry uh, plugin that we use for WordPress. But mm-hmm. yeah. it occurred to me that by having the authors already doing all the work, we could actually come together and not only say that we were part of a network, but we could also say that we we have one feed that has all these podcasts on it. And so one of the things that I think we're doing that's a little bit different than most podcast networks is that we do have a single RSS feed that unites us. And at the same time, we keep our individual feed. And so we can promote one another. 
uh, build one another's platform while at the same time building the, the single platform. And nobody's losing or gaining from it from a PR standpoint. Um, and I think, I think that has an advantage for everybody because if there are people who are going to the, uh, the iTunes RSS feed or whatever podcast catcher they use, they can go in there and just see all the episodes that are up there. Uh, a little bit of a delay on that because of the time it takes for people to actually get approved th- those episodes. But, but if you're just checking out podcasts and trying to find them, you can get them that way. But it also allows you to say, okay, I just heard the tech reformation on the theology makes network and I'm going to go check out that podcast on the side. So it really, it really benefits everybody. And at this point, we have 13 podcasts who are active. Uh, there are 11 ads that are circulating now. Um, and, and I think, I'm curious to know what you guys know about podcast networks. I think that that, that number 13 is pushing one of the larger numbers that I'm aware of in terms of pod, the podcast networks I compare to are the Reform Pub Network and Radiotopia, which is a secular network. Um, and 13 is a pretty big number in terms of number of podcasts who are actively involved. So I don't know what you guys know about networks and, and how many active podcasts there are and, and whether or not they have a single RSS feed. Yeah. The only one I know of that might be bigger is Panoply. Uh, and I think that's just because there's not a whole lot of collaboration on the back end. It seems like, it seems like they just are people who listen to lots of podcasts and will just collaborate as many as they can find that okay. sort of will do it. Uh, and so there's, they have a ton um, you know, like a lot of stuff from Slate. It's the Secular Podcast Network as well, but um, a lot of stuff from Slate's podcasts and just others. I, not that any, not any that I listen to regularly, but I'm aware of their existence. <laughs> I know of Relay.fm. Um, they they have they're kind of more like it's it's less of Panoply's uh, deal of just accepting everything and and they kind of create their own or they create. Uh, podcasts with the uh, with the hosts and whatnot. Um, they tend to be more cohesive. The only other thing I know of in terms of uh, sort of an organic grouping of podcasts when you're searching is uh, by creator or content creator name. Um, so like if you have somebody like NPR, you could find all their podcasts. It's not yes. really a network, but it's, you know, they do a bunch of podcasts. Or like Gimlet Media, you could find all of their shows. Um, but it's not really exactly the same thing. Yeah, I, I think in terms of the whole network idea, I think there's a lot of people who've had similar ideas to what we're doing, um, either without the RSS feed or, uh, like you said, I have seen a number of radio stations as well that have their their particular station airs uh, these programs, and they'll have a link that that sort of, like you said, curates all their programs into one feed so people can mm-hmm. use it. Um, but in terms of that, that functioning together, we're, we're hoping to build that to a platform that um, we're, we're all using it to our benefit and we're also being able to benefit from. And I think, I think the key is having active people. And I think that if we can leverage that network um, idea, it seems like a lot of people are trying to figure out how to leverage it the right way. I think there can be a, a maximizing of listeners for everybody, both for Theology Mix as well as for the individual podcasters. And that's sort of what we're going for. Um, I'm sure in a monetary way, there's secular places that are looking at it and trying to find ways to uh, make money this way. But in in our particular case, we're trying to um, magnify and glorify Christ. And so that's our sort of our return on investment. And with that, I think that makes it unique too, in the sense that we can, um, we have that one goal in mind and theology mix isn't super harsh on, 
you know, the reform pub, ha- it's a reform network. That's the assumption where with uh, theology makes, we, we have the ability to be a little bit more flexible with who we let in. Uh, obviously we try to keep things orthodox, but, uh, you know, if something were brought to our attention, we would we would adjust for that. But for the most part, we try to bring in podcasts that we like, we enjoy, and we can collaborate with. So it's it's kind of, it's been fun. I'm excited about the people who have joined, and I have seen a lot of the feedback. I'm expecting over the next few months with those ads going out to see a lot more interaction, both between the podcasts like we're doing right now, um, as well as uh, just in terms of promoting one another. Yeah, and speaking of interaction, we've been on after the sermon, as you mentioned earlier. Um, I don't have an ed- episode number, though. Do you know which episode that was? Oh, you put me on the spot. I will, uh, <laughs> man, it was early. I want to say 20s, but I will get you a link for your show notes, and then you'll have that. So Yeah. Uh, but, I, I, yeah, that was early on. In fact, uh, you know, Len Flack was a part of that, and uh, th- there might not be too many people who know it, but The Ordinary Pastor is a part of the Theology Mix Network as well. And Len has done a lot of the back-end work for The Ordinary Pastor. So uh, that collaboration is happening both in episode and out of episode. Yeah. I think that episode with you actually is one of my favorite uh, theology from the headlines segments, if you will, that's not actually in our show. <laughs> um, but it was just a really great discussion. And uh, I think a lot of a lot of important points uh, on the issue were encapsulated in a small amount of time, uh, which was really cool. And it's just kind of the really the pinnacle of what we do here. And so it was really neat. Yeah. And I mean, I also had uh, Derek's wife, Tanya, on a couple weeks ago to that talk awesome. about some sensitive stuff. And again, um, both podcasting and being a part of the Theology Mix Network sort of made that happen. We built that connection and then uh, we can build platforms for each other where, you know, there. just to give you an example, one of the podcasts that is in the network is Let's Talk Dementia. And, you know, you're, you guys aren't going to talk about that on the tech reformation unless there's some tech for that. But uh, you may have a family member or friend who may be able to go on on Carol's show and be involved with that or whatever. And that's just an example of the ways in which we can leverage one another, not just in terms of listeners, but even in terms of guests and things like that. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things I um, appreciate about Theology Mix is that it's more than just a podcast network. Um, And I know other networks are as well. Some of the other ones we've mentioned even have websites with articles and things. Um, But I think Every time I go back to Theology Mix, um, to the actual website and have a look around, uh, there's always something that, that stands out to me as I should re- You know, I was on there this morning and uh, an article came up about the Heidelberg Catechism, which I was I read through as part of my devotionals last year and um, sort of just grabbed my attention and went, oh, you know, it'd be good to look back into that and, and have another read through what, it, what someone else is, is saying about it because I read a book by Kevin DeYoung on it, so it'd be good to get someone else's input. And just the number of um, authors and other podcasts that are, like Jeremy said, they're not all necessarily reformed, um, but they are they are kept in, in an orthodox space. Um, and so to see other podcasts appearing alongside Tech Reformation that um, may not be exactly the same but have the same kind of heart, um, in terms of where they're coming from um, and um, wanting to reach people with, with a, a message that's positive and, um, and presents the gospel across a range of topics. I think it's pretty cool. Um, and for sure, it's good to be able to, to support each other as well um, and to have the podcast actually be active in doing that um, and, and sort of looking after each other within this online community. And, and I also like the fact that there's like an anon section of um, theology mix, so you've got a bunch <laughs> of people who theology mix has kind of taken the the anon um, 
church under its wing a little bit and kind of it seems like they're sort of presenting some of the the content that's coming from um that part of the internet um in a in a way that people can easily uh, find rather than having to you know follow a, a thousand different twitter accounts yeah right um, for what seems to be a quite a constantly and rapidly growing community so yeah there's just a whole heap of content there and it is a good place to kind of go and be able to just sort of pick and choose um from a whole range of sources uh what you want to what you want to have a look at so let's dig into podcasts for the glory of god what do you guys think yep let's do that uh jeremy i'm gonna throw you a softball here um what can you tell me some of the ways that you think podcasts can glorify God or, or advance the gospel or exalt Christ? Um maybe even ways that uniquely podcasts can do that. Uh but even if it's something that we do in other medium uh in other other media, uh what what would you say? Yeah, I mean, first of all, we can get you baptized through a podcast, so, so that's <laughs> <laughs> But only but if you're an adult. Hopefully nobody's jumping into the, just this segment. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's right. Only, only by profession of faith. <laughs> no, but uh, seriously, that, I mean, I think podcasting, and some podcasters would get offended by this, but I think podcasting is just an extension of radio. I think it's our way of doing it. And Christians for a long time have understood the power of audio. Um, one of the reasons I mentioned Radiotopia is one of the things that got me into podcasting initially was the creative elements there. Now, just to be fair, uh, a lot of the things in Radiotopia are not Christian. And so just, just a fair warning there for people if they go to that, um, that network, but there were some very creative things. And I thought there's an, there's something here that from the audio side of things that the gospel can be preached and the reach that you have, you know, a radio station, it used to be that was the way you would gather audio. Today, you get it on your cell phone, especially in the United States of America and in most uh, most of the c- countries that are developed. Um, obviously, radio is still a tool that you can use in other countries. But in terms of the development of computers and the web, this is the way we have to reach people. And the other the other thing that makes it nice is any just about anybody can do it. I say just about because there's really... There are some technical sides to it, but, you know, one of the things that always frustrated me when I was pastoring was the number of churches that have pastors preaching 30, 40-minute sermons every week, and they disappear into no man's land. They don't record them. They don't post them anywhere. And the internet is still a very free place in terms of posting those things. So Mm -hmm, um, it's just a a massive amount of ability that we have, and not just in terms of podcasting, but audio in general. Um, But podcasting specifically... The network itself is a testament to the number of ways in which we can reach people, uh, whether we're talking about technology like you guys or uh, like I do with, with current events and theological topics. There's just such a wide range of, of ways we can touch. I'm about to start working with uh, a lady on homeschool podcast. So um, oh, th- nice. there's just so many tools that can be brought free of charge. And, and you know, you said to the glory mm-hmm. of God, um, you can make money doing stuff like this, but typically especially with radio, if you're trying to do that, you have to generate funds in order to get this stuff out there. You know, you got to pay radio stations for their airtime. Mm-hmm. Podcasting, you don't, there's no cost. I mean, if you know how to handle the tech side of it, which isn't super difficult, the cost element is super low. So anything you could do with radio, and I think it would be interesting to do some statistical work on radio to podcasting, who reaches more. But, man, I'll tell you, I went from blogging to podcasting, and every download to me is like 100 views of my blog because 
when I know somebody looked at a blog, I don't know if they read it, but if they right. downloaded the episode, they spent at least 10, 15 minutes at least listening. Um, and to know that there's a lot of feedback coming from people who listen to an hour, hour and a half, two hour show, man, that's mind blowing. And, and people's attention spans, they will, they'll go for a jog and they'll listen to a podcast, but a lot of times they'll read a blog and they'll go, Oh, I, I read the first sentence. I'm out. So <laughs> I think, I think the, in order to, as a medium to get the gospel out there, it, it's a massive, uh, potential in terms of reach. Yeah. And I would agree. There's, there's far more engagement uh, with podcasting, even than radio, I think, because with a podcast, someone is intentionally trying to listen to what you have to say. With radio, it's, you know, you, it's on in the background. It's just like a routine thing. Sometimes you pay attention to it. Sometimes you don't. And that's the same, same with podcasting. Sometimes some people use podcasts to go to sleep, but, um, the majority of people I think are, are really engaged with listening. And, and I was just listening to, to, uh, some, uh, Mike on relay on upgrade, I think, um, on the upgrade podcast talking about advertising this week and how advertising is really, really successful on podcast on podcasting because, uh, the listeners listen and they like, they're engaged with what the, with what, uh, uh, the hosts are saying. And, um, it's way better than the web for that kind of thing. I think the other, one of the other benefits of podcasting to me is it seems like, um, it, it feels more conversational and I don't necessarily know why that is. I do listen to a little bit of talkback radio, so I feel like I kind of get a bit of both worlds. Um, but it seems like with radio, sometimes you kind of feel like you're listening to the show and they're just trying to fit in snippets of content in the, in their six minute segment between their mandated ads that they have to play at certain times, you know, or they're getting, you know, they, they have to, they're running into the news and so they have to sort of finish off the topic and, and hurry up so that the news can come on at every half hour or whatever it is. I think with podcasting, it seems to be more of just real people, um, having discussions, having conversations and then, Often, uh, as we've seen from some of the podcasts that we are involved with or know about or listen to ourselves, um, inviting more interaction during the week. So, we have a Slack channel. Other people have Facebook groups, um, those kinds of things. You know, I, I don't go to the Talkback Radio Show's Facebook page that I listen to and comment there. Um, it's just not something I do. But but when it, I'm listening to a podcast and, and they're discussing something um, that's of interest to me, I feel like with podcasting, there's something about podcasting that makes it, I think, more, um, it's more of a listener's medium, I think, mm -hmm. than a broadcaster's medium. Um, and that's one of the things that I think is actually really powerful about it. Um, it's, I don't know if it's an ownership thing, but uh, it's something that I've sort of found as a listener um, before I became a podcaster, before I, you know, started hosting this show with you guys. Um, I've appreciated that um, openness of of communication between uh, the people hosting the show and then the listeners that may be uh, so not i don't i wouldn't dispute the comparison to radio really at all um uh, and it may be the case that this is sort of our generation's radio if you will or our, our time period's radio mm -hmm. um but i'd add also that i think i see maybe three big distinctions between podcasting and radio that really uh i would say exaggerate the benefit of them for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel. So one is that, uh, they're, they're on demand. Um, you can listen to any episode of our podcast whenever you want, almost from anywhere you want. I mean, obviously there are some limits there. 
Um, but even certainly location, if you've got an internet connection, you can, you can hear Tech Reformation, which is cool. And every other podcast that's out there. Um, and, and that leads me sort of to point two, which is accessibility. Um, you know, we're not limited to, and there are certain things that are being done with internet radio in our day, uh, to sort of advance that cause. Uh, but certainly with podcasts from the beginning, if you have an internet connection, you can get to it regardless of where you are in the world. And then maybe the third thing would be, uh, that they're focused, uh, and not just the topics, but also the audience, which is what Craig was getting into. I think, um, that we've got some of the most awesome and dedicated listeners to our show who are willing to jump into a Slack channel with a bunch of people they don't know um, and have awesome, great conversation with brothers and sisters in Christ, which is really cool. Uh, just that community aspect, I think, uh, as far as the audience goes as well. Yeah, I just want to piggyback on that too. Everything you just said, I was thinking as everyone else was talking in terms of <laughs> it being on demand. And you know, with radio, Craig, you were right, absolutely. People are on a time schedule. But another thing that I'm surprised to find there's a lot of podcasters who don't know, or people who listen to podcasts who don't know this, but you can actually speed up podcasts to g- gather the content without, you, you know, you don't have to, if it's an hour long episode, you there are apps out there that'll crank it up. And so even the, not just the fact that it's on demand, but the flexibility with which you can listen to a podcast and still be engaged with it, you know, you don't have to worry about missing quote unquote an episode or an airtime. And if you don't have time, you can speed that thing up. So uh, I am blown away by the number of people who are like, oh, you can speed it up. But even that is just the, the fact that you can do whatever you want with it and still engage with that content, I think makes it uh, just a huge advantage for the medium. Totally agree. The, the last thing I might say in this segment, uh, and I hope that this connection exists more than just in my mind. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I was thinking, Jeremy, earlier when you were talking about podcasts being audio content. Uh, specifically, that it's not, you know, there are video podcasts, but initially it was all audio. Um, and even radio is, is audio as well. So that was kind of the comparison you were making. But I immediately started thinking about um, parts of scripture where we see faith comes by hearing and where we see in Revelation that blessed is the one who hears these words and does them. And, and where we see in the New Testament, all these circular letters that were meant to be read uh, out loud in the context of a local church uh, congregation. And I just think about um, podcasts being in that audio format as well. There's something about um, hearing the gospel and the word of God, uh, that God, the Holy Spirit, seems to bless in a unique way that he's chosen in his sovereignty to do, um, which is really neat. And, you know, we don't see that necessarily with um, pictures or with video as much as we do with the hearing through the audio, which is really cool. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that. Yeah, you, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. You don't have to. You can totally contradict me. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I feel the same way. And I, I tend to... And this is just part of the way I learn is I'm, I do better hearing than reading. Um, and part of that is because I just haven't trained myself to read a lot of books all the time. But um, listening is something that I can do all day, every day uh, when I'm doing something else. You know, I, when if I'm doing something that I know how to do on the job, I mean, I, I'm a blue collar worker. I, I, um, so I work with my hands a bunch and a lot of the things I'm doing I've done before, uh, I need something in my ears to, to, you know, keep me going. Um, and it's a really great way to learn. I've learned, I've read <laughs> no systematic theology, uh, systematic theologies yet. Um, which I would like to at some point, but a lot of what I've learned in the past, oh gosh, like seven, eight years, um, 
theologically has come from podcasts and from sermons, podcasts of sermons and that kind of thing. Uh, Apologetics podcasts. Um, This has been my main source of learning. It's a new, it's an entirely new uh, medium, I think, for it, it, it's, it's a great representation of the web being able to teach you anything. You find someone who knows what they're talking about on the internet and it's a great place to learn. Um, so I've, I've really appreciated the medium just because of that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. And that's been some, uh, very similar to my experience. I think also, um, for me, it's been a massive way of redeeming time. Um, I have, Oh yeah, a huge, uh, a quite a considerable commute every day, um, yeah. and so to either spend that time um, listening to podcasts or in prayer is um, far better for my soul than listening to music that I've listened to before on a CD or my iPod. Um, I've found so, and I'm I'm a music guy. Like I, you know, I play music, I enjoy music, but um, most of the time um, I would choose to listen to a podcast because I feel like I can. Um, you know, I, I need to have my eyes on the road, so I can't watch a video uh, sermon or, or whatever. Um, but I can listen to audio, and I can be learning from content um, that's being put out there that I can download the night before I, I head off in the morning um, for my commute. So, yeah, there's there's huge benefits in that way in terms of learning from things and um, and using time well, I guess, in in terms of driving and that sort of thing. Yeah, I would just agree with that and just to dovetail on that, there's a lot of people out there, believers and unbelievers alike, who have that that available time to them, whether you're talking about a commute or I actually got into podcasting in a data entry job where I was 40 hours a week. Without podcasting, I would have just been sitting there going mind numb. And (laughs) it took about four or five weeks, 40 hours straight listening to different podcasts when I said, I think I could probably get into this too. But I mean there's a medium there that can fill time. You can't read, you can't watch a movie on, on your work computer, but they're right. a lot of times they're okay with you popping in your earbuds and you know, some, some workplaces have camera rules or whatever, but there's still a way to get that audio in there and turn that time into something that otherwise would just be wasted or you with your own thoughts or who knows what else you'd be engaged with other workers who may be influencing you. So. Derek, I was thinking about what you said about learning through uh, sort of an audio content method. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought about, I before I moved, before we moved to Memphis, I used to do a regular, uh, it was a weekly, actually a couple times weekly, uh, meeting with a couple of high school guys, uh, kind of just a discipleship group uh, that we were doing and that I was volunteering with. And I remember one time being asked... Um, and this is not to brag at all, because I don't think I learned it through my own brilliance. But they asked me one time, how do I know so much stuff? And and all I thought was, well, I just am constantly listening to people telling me stuff I don't know. Right. Like, that, that's it. Like, <laughs> yeah, God is teaching yep. me through all of this amazing audio content, whether it's uh, podcasts or sermons like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you will just uh, initiate... <laughs> The and sort of as Craig was saying, redeem the time that you otherwise would not be doing. You know, you're driving or you're you're doing something else. Um, you can learn just as much. You know, yeah. and it's pretty amazing um, that God chooses to work in that way. In conclusion, podcasts are awesome, and you should keep listening to them, especially this one. Yes, <laughs> and all the podcasts on the Theology and, Mix Network. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was going to say, Perfect. and after the sermon. <laughs> Perfect.
Rico, do you guys have any records? Um, yeah, I got a quick record this week. It's a music one again. Uh, I did um, chuck in a CD during this week. Now that I've just said that I don't listen to music in the car, <laughs> um, I just sort of uh, didn't have any podcasts on my phone that day, so I thought I would. Uh, it's a band I used to listen to. They're no, I don't think they're together anymore. Uh, they're called Further Seems Forever. I think they might have been on Tooth and Nail back in the day. Um, so definitely check them out. In particular, Hide Nothing uh, is a is a fantastic album, um, and How to Start a Fire is also great. So if you haven't heard of them before, check them out. I have a recommendation. I think a couple of days ago this week, Netflix launched a new tool to see how fast your internet speeds are. Um, which this is such a weird recommendation, but I'm a huge nerd. And <laughs> for the longest time, and I thought of this because you mentioned earlier in the episode, Derek, about mm-hmm. speedtest.net. For a long time, they were the king of the speed test business. Uh, but fast.com is a Netflix tool to figure out how fast your internet speeds are, uh, whether it's over LTE or, or your Wi-Fi connection. And it is a lot faster, a lot cleaner uh, and just, you know, looks nicer too, which everyone who's listened to this knows matters to me. Um, so fast.com, it's pretty neat. And through my sort of Comcast setup, I've had to use it a couple of times uh, to figure out if they're actually giving me the speeds they say they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually just used fast earlier, but I I used speedtest.net first. So nice. That's why I mentioned that instead. But yeah, it's it's very clean. It's nice. Fast is a fail for me. Oh, it might be U.S. It only. It oh. Yeah, it says it can't reach my servers. That's quite Sad possible. Day. Sad day. Never mind. Oh, Sorry well. to all of our non-U.S. listeners like Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, do you have any recos? Yeah, obviously I'll do the shameless recos of my show after the sermon. Check that out. And the Theology Mix Podcast Network. Be, be sure to check that out. Some great podcasts like the Tech Reformation on there. So check out that. Um, but I, I did a review of a Bible. It's sort of weird to reco the Bible. <laughs> but, uh, I, I did a, That's a good thing to reco. Yes, I highly recommend the Bible. No, uh, I, I did a review for, uh, I, I bought a... Tech Reformation, or uh, Tech Reformation, Reformation Study Bible, and uh, from Ligonier.com, and they, I, I'm not big on buying a lot of study Bibles. Um, in fact, I bought the original one of these and didn't use it that much, and it's not really a good reco. But th- this is a really good study Bible. A lot of people may have the old one, and I just want to encourage folks to at least check out the new one because there are a lot of really good. Uh, changes, and I haven't gotten into all the notations. The notations were good to begin with, but they went out of their way to make this a very readable Bible. And what I mean by that is your your typical Bible has like the two columns on each page. They got rid of that and went to single column, so it reads really well. Um, I, I just recommend it because if someone's looking for a Bible, uh, or particularly a study Bible, it is a good recommendation. Um, I went with the hardcover because I can never afford leather-bound, but I hear the leather-bound is just as good. So I'll, I'll just throw that out there. Reformation Study Bible, Ligonier.com. Um, the new edition, if you have the old one, uh, it's it may even be worth going. I think a lot of people look at new editions and they're like, I don't need another one. Uh, it might be worth it. Um, it's been about 10 years, I think, since they did a full revamp like this, so... Uh, it's worth taking a look at. Hey, Jeremy, have you got the ESV study Bible? Um, I don't think I do. Uh, is that is okay. that specifically an ESV translation study Bible or? Yeah, it's like the big. It's a big, thick one with a white. It's got a white cover with black writing and orange down the side. I do not um, know. I know what you're talking about now, though. 
it's also single column and I, I really want to hear a comparison between the two because I've heard a lot of people talking about both. I've got the ESV study Bible. I've always wondered about the Reformation study Bible. Who, but who is the pub- publisher? Do you know who the publisher uh, it's Cross, is? I think it's Crossway. Crossway. Maybe I'll I'll see if I can get them to give me one because <laughs> I'm shameless that way. <laughs> I'll be like, hey, I just did a review of the Ligonier study Bible. You guys want to share yours? <laughs> that would be interesting, though. I'm not, like I said, I'm not big into study Bibles. In fact, my wife has the MacArthur study Bible, and they're so bulk. I, I'm more of a small Bible guy. Like, I like to have a small Bible I can carry around. Sure. But this is actually yep. a Bible. Like, when I got this, I was like, ah, probably not going to use it. But it is one. In fact, it's sitting on my desk. I was going to hold it up, but it doesn't do the people listening any good. Um, it, it's <laughs> it's on my desk, and I'm using it. So it was one that I thought I would probably end up giving away after I was done looking it over. But I think I'm going to keep it. So uh, I, I would love to do a comparison on that, though. And before we tell you how you can contact us, we have one final note. Thank you, a huge thank you, to Jeremy Lundmark for coming on the show. Jeremy, you are awesome. And you can check him out on After the Sermon and on the Theology Mix website, he's an author there, as you mentioned earlier. He's got a lot of great content. You should check him out. We love After the Sermon. It's a really great podcast. Well, thank you guys for having me on the show. I'm stoked to have you in the Theology Mix podcast network and excited oh, yeah. for where we're headed. Oh, yeah. Cool. And if you would like to connect with us, you can do so by jumping in our Slack channel. You can sign in by going to slack.techreformation.com. Sign up and you will get email instructions that will self-destruct, so do so quickly. <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at Tech Reformation and uh, follow us on Facebook as well. On Twitter, we'll keep tweeting out those uh, hashtag T-Y... Wait, how, how is it? Tech T-Y-S-K. T-Y-S-K. <laughs> hashtag T-Y-S-K. Um, so you can either follow them or mute that hashtag, you know, whichever one you want to do. But uh, Only if you have TweetBot, though. Right. Well, you can mute stuff on, you can mute stuff on actual Twitter now, right? You can't mute hashtags. Oh. You can mute people. Huh. Maybe we should also start tweeting TYSU. Well, Maybe we'll we will. Follow we'll us and uh, find out. After the fact. <laughs> after each episode. Anyway, um, you can also find us on our website, which is techreformation.com. If you want to search around for past shows and topics, you can use the tags to do that. And because Tank's not here, I'm going to also let you know that you can contact us via email if you'd like to. It's ask or ask, A-S-K, <laughs> at techreformation.com. Send us any comments, feedback, questions, uh, things that you think we should talk about on, on future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. So this week, we have a special assignment. Jump in our Slack channel, or if you're already there, go to our episode discussion channel. Find the memes of, I'd like to invite you to my professional network on LinkedIn and give us your best attempt at a stock photo or just a Google image search of a photo that you think goes really well with, I'd like to invite you to my to join my professional network on LinkedIn. And hilarity will ensue. <laughs> and there goes our episode discussion for the week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we definitely should have asked them to put that in random channel instead. <laughs> Might as well just do cat bombs. Uh, you can review us on iTunes and recommend us on Overcast by swiping left and hitting that star. Uh, do that before the end of the episode, before it deletes itself. Yes, please do so. It's very helpful when people do that. And we are a part of the Theology Mix Network. If it wasn't clear already, you can find links to the website and the iTunes master feed in the show notes to find other great podcast shows. If you like this music you're listening to, we're using it by special permission of Matthew Parker. We like him. He's a cool dude. Check him out on SoundCloud or iTunes. This has been Tech Reformation. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. We go to the
Do you know what I just realized? What? We they never were. see people next week. It's a podcast. Yeah, I know. It's a friend. Why do we it's, say that? It's just <laughs> I, I say it too. I, I say we'll see you next week on after that. And I'm never weekly. <laughs> That's I try, true. I try I try very hard, but I'm not like like it was two weeks ago. Plus you don't know when they're gonna listen to it, so True, oh, but I do know they can't see us. Never mind. 